Gracious God, the passage that we are going to look at today continues Jesus' prayer for His disciples in the early church and His prayer for us. And what we're going to look at is unity. And we pride ourselves, God, on being individuals. We pride ourselves on being able to make our own decisions and do our own thing. We live in a world that celebrates all of that. And yet, God, You don't intend to take that away from us, but You do desire it is Your will that as Christians we are united. That we are united in Your Spirit and we are united in our understanding and our knowledge and our worship of You. And so this morning as we take a look at what it is that Jesus prayed, God, help us to be people. Help us to be a church who is united, not by what we want, God, but by who You are and by what You want. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue this passage in John. We're in John 17, starting in the 20th verse. We're going to continue on, and we need to understand in context, this is Jesus' prayer for His disciples for the, the very earliest part of the church. Uh, it's just before He is crucified. It's, it's one of the very last things that He has to say when He's with them. These words, and we've been saying this for weeks, these words are so important, but as we read this prayer today and as we take a look at what, is, what it's all about and what Jesus is saying, it is every bit as important for us in our world as well. So if you want to uh, follow along, starting in verse 20, I, I do want to say by way of caution, however, when we start talking about godly unity, there's a couple of things that we have to understand that that means. That means that there is a right and a wrong. There, there is a way that we are supposed to be and to believe and to act and to live, and there's a way that we are not supposed to. And one of the big problems that the church is having today is that we have confused what godly unity really means. And so I'll warn you at the outset, it is not my intention, but it is very likely that you may not like everything in this message. Because I'm not going to tell you what I want, and I'm certainly not going to tell you what you want, because we haven't talked about it and I don't know. But I am going to talk about the world that we live in and the church that we have created here and as a Christian church in America and across the world, and we're going to take a look at what it is that Jesus prayed for the church as the church was just being born. And what we're going to find out that the church that we have created that we're living in is very different in a lot of ways than that first prayer of Jesus. So, with that as your warning, let's continue. Chapter 17. I'm going to read verse 20 through 23 here. So, Peggy, let's let me go ahead and do this, and we'll go back one at a time. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, that they may all be one, just as You, Father, are in Me, and I in You that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. The glory that You have given Me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and You in Me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that You sent Me, and love them even as You loved Me. We could keep it really simple... And we could say that as Christians, we are to be one in our faith, our understanding, and our practice of what it is to be a Christian every bit as much as Jesus the Son and God the Father are one. That's what Jesus' prayer is. That we're all of one heart and mind, that our intention, our purpose, the way that we live is united and is one. 
But we would agree that that's not where we are. And so let's take a look at this a little bit more and break it down. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. Right there, Jesus is talking about us. We are some of those who believe in Him, at least in part through the testimony of those who have gone before us. It's not talking about God's Word here. It's talking about the Word of people who have brought us to faith. You are at least in part here this morning because somebody, whether wherever you are in your faith, whether you are a firm believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you're here checking it out because you heard there was a new church out here, wherever you stand on it, you're here because someone, someone said something that was enough for you. You heard something that was enough for you to come and check it out. Jesus is talking about that kind of thinking. See, we believe in Jesus because people we trust have told us that they believe in Jesus and they've put their faith in Him. And so what do we do? We say, well, if it's good for him or her, I should probably take a look at it. That's important for two reasons. First, it's where we come to faith through the Word and the testimony of someone that we trust. It is important that we come to know Jesus because somebody else out there has told us we know that we're not out there by ourselves. We know it's not us trying to figure it out all on our own. There's other people who have gone before. Secondly, there's a responsibility, and the responsibility is that we are called by the Bible, in Scripture, by Jesus, to carry on the tradition and the testimony as others come after us to help them come to an understanding of their own personal faith in Jesus through the words of our testimony. A lot of people, you may be one of these, that says, well... I go to church. I read the Bible. I believe in Jesus. I just don't like to talk about it because my faith is very personal. Or my faith is very private, excuse me. My faith is very private. Show me the verse in the Bible that says that's the way it's supposed to be. Your faith is supposed to be personal. Your faith isn't supposed to be private. And the reason is because there was somewhere out there, someone out there trusts you enough to listen to what you say about what you believe and why. Think about it make it easy. Think about it in the terms of, of the restaurant world. To me, if I'm going to spend money on a restaurant and I'm going to go out and, and pay money that I've had to earn or that we've had to earn in our family for food, you know, I want to know that it, I have some idea at least that it's going to be a good meal. Are you right? Are you agree with me? So you take someone's testimony. We don't call it that. It's their word. It's you, you, you Google it. You look on Yelp. You do something to find out, is this place worth my money or not? But you trust folks in terms of what they have to say about the place. Jesus is talking about the same thing. That we hear the word of other people and that helps us move to faith. In verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Two-part thing. They become one and then they are in us. Does that mean that we all think and act and do everything identically the same? No, of course not. That's not how God created us. But being in one in mind, one in spirit, one in understanding. And we do that, why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Your testimony, your words, the things that you say and that you don't say, the things that you do and the things that you shouldn't do. Bear witness to who God is in your life. If you've been around here for long, you've heard me say this an awful lot. You can say whatever you want about what you believe, but people aren't going to listen to you until they see it in action. While you're working out your faith, that's okay. 
Please do. But understand, if you're going to go tell somebody, they're also going to watch. Now, it might mean that both of those things are moving at the same time and the person you were, they realize, isn't the person that you are. You know what? That's really cool because you maybe have some rough edges, but there's a part of you that's a little bit different. I'll tell you what, your friend's ears are going to turn and they're going to hear you. Because they see in your actions that there's something that goes along with your words. It's your testimony. So that verse right there, that's the heart of the message today. Jesus' prayer, remember now last week, it wasn't for our safety. It was to assure us of our eternal security. He didn't pray that the devil would leave us alone. He prayed that we would leave the devil alone. Huge difference. Devil can't make you do anything. We choose to do it all. Sin isn't something we have to do. It's something that we choose to do. So his prayer is that we would leave the devil alone. He prayed that we'd know that whatever happened in this life, we would be certain and confident of the life to come. Now his prayer turns to what should be the single most defining characteristic of a Christian and of the Christian church. It turns to the one thing that the whole world should be able to look at all of us and say, well, we know that they're a Christian. We know that it's a Christian church. His prayer is about unity. Prayer is that as Christians we would be one as people of faith and as a church we would be one just as God the Father and God the Son are one. Fortunately, I don't think we've done very well with our part of bringing that prayer to fruition. Unity isn't easy because to truly be united, to be one, I don't care if it's just two people trying to be in a relationship. To truly be one is to be willing to give up yourself as most important. And that's where we run into trouble with unity in the church because unity is selfless. Why is it so important? Because if you look at the record of human history, there's almost nothing that people can't accomplish, be it for good or for evil, when they're united to a cause. When people become united in a cause, even if it's the most horrific thing in the eyes of history, when people become united, there's almost nothing that they can't do. Genesis 11.6 has God saying just that when people choose to begin the construction of this great tower that they believe is going to make them famous. Their goal for the tower in Genesis was nothing short of that tower reaching heavens, reaching the heavens. Verse 6 of Genesis 11 says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible with them. You know what that tells me? People that are united for a cause, good or bad, get God's attention. God is in heaven looking down at these people and He's saying they are one people, one mind, one language. They have one purpose. There's nothing that's going to be impossible for them. The only problem was what these people wanted to do is they wanted to be like God. They were trying to reach to the home of God. They wanted fame and notoriety. They wanted the world to look at them as being something special and important. They wanted to become like God. They wanted to be worshipped. The building, of course, is the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11.7, God says, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. The people were united and God got in the way and scattered them because what they were going to create wasn't good for them 
It wasn't a part of God's plan. It wouldn't have been good for us today. thing is, people haven't changed much and there's a problem in the Christian church. And the problem is that too many of us who call ourselves Christians are more concerned with our political beliefs and our social agendas than we truly are with the will and the Word and the truth of God. Because of that, there is often little to no unity in the Christian church anywhere in this country. And I want to throw out an example, and I want you to try to do something very difficult. I want you to set all of your political stuff aside for the moment. I want you to set all that aside and don't think Republican or Democrat or any, uh, any of the other labels that we put on ourselves and each other. I want you to think about that. If we as a Christian church understood the power of unity, and we as a Christian church actually put down our differences, and the most important thing to us was that we elected a godly man or a godly woman as the leader of the country, it strikes me that in this last go-round, Mike Pence would be the president of the U.S. If not him specifically, somebody just like him. But you know what? Christians, they don't make much noise when it comes to the polls. Why? Because we don't agree. Our politics are more important than our faith. So instead of Mike Pence being the President of the United States as a Christian, instead he's the laughing stock of the media, the late-night comedians and the opposing political party. He's not the President, he's the Vice President. And people make fun of him because he speaks what he believes. And he shines the light on the lack of unity among Christians. We're very literally losing the United States as we know it, as the framers of our Constitution envisioned it, and the foundation of our Christian principles because we choose to be Republican or Democrat or Socialist. Our entitlement opinions are more important to us than our uniting under the common cause of the Church of Christ. There's a whole lot of things that we would rather do and make legal that the Bible specifically says we should not. And we say, but we have the choice. We can choose to do that. It's my right. You can't take that away. You know what? i got news for everyone that thinks that we've got these great political opinions. The Word of God preceded this Democratic Republic of the United States of America a long time ago. We're late arrivers. And the Bible hasn't changed one bit. And so what we do is we change laws and then justify a rereading of the Bible. If you think that what God did at the Tower of Babel was something, just imagine what He might do to our nation the way we're going. This God-mocking, self-satisfying world around us. What I find interesting is that they can make fun of a Christian for what a Christian believes, but the very same people will protect the rights and the faith of someone of a different faith tradition. They will go to the ends of the earth to protect them and their beliefs. And in order to do that, what they've declared is that Christians and our beliefs are hate-filled and evil and intolerant. That's what we're told. That's what the media tells us. You know what the sad thing is? Rather than as Christians standing up and saying, no, we just believe in something. We believe in the Word of God and, and that's what we gather around. What we do is we start pointing fingers at each other. And we start picking the wrong side. I don't know if you caught this or not, but quite recently, uh, Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg and the women of The View, they're a great example of what is happening 
and where the media stands with regards to Christians in the church today. They did an episode not long ago, and Mike Pence ended up being the laughing stock of the show because Mike Pence had made a statement that he prays and he listens to Jesus and he hears Jesus when he talks to him. And apparently Joy Behar didn't have a problem with the fact that Mike Pence prayed. She was fine with letting him do that. But did she cut into him when he said that he listened to Jesus when he spoke to her? Called him mentally ill. And before she was done, she made a slam about he and Mary Magdalene. And you know what? Everybody laughed. Everybody was on board. Whoopi Goldberg was right there with her. Yeehaw, go get him. Now those same women defend other religious groups with the same kind of aggression that they went after Mike Pence. Proving that for her, nothing of God is holy and off limits. But if we're going to take the words that she said on national television seriously, you and I have the same mental illness that she says Mike Pence has, don't we? For them, it was a political thing, and she used religion to get after it, and that's what is happening in our country. So every Sunday morning, we read God's Word. Every Sunday morning, we gather and we pray. And we understand that God's Word has a way of speaking to us. God doesn't come with a voice out of the clouds and say anything, but we know that God's Word to us is in that book. Because I know that when I pray, and I bet you this is true for you, there's two things that I absolutely believe. One of them is that God listens and He cares. God actually sets down whatever He is doing in the, in the, the immense responsibility that He has in heaven, and He actually listens to what I have to say because He cares. And I know that because He told me that in His Word. And I know that if I'm quiet long enough and if I can still all the noise in my world for enough time, maybe God will speak to me too. And so often when we talk about prayer, the, the thing that we do is we talk about God, tell God all the things that we need Him to do. We never stop and listen to what God might actually have to say to us. We wonder if maybe Joy Behar isn't right. We'll be a little bit crazy if we think we heard the voice of God. I would actually say you could be so blessed. For the record, I was not impressed when I heard her for many reasons. One of them was because she took the line from an old Lily Tomlin skit. She didn't even come up with it herself. Lily Tomlin years ago said, when I talk to Jesus, people call it prayer. When Jesus talks to me, they call it schizophrenia. That's what Joy Behar was saying about the Vice President of the United States because he believes in Jesus. And the talk show hosts and the late night pundits got on board and laughed. I thought about it and I thought, how, how can they do that? How can they talk about our God that way? Well, they don't know Him. And as I'm preparing this message today, I realized, do, do you know why they don't know Him? Because we as Christians act like we don't. In Jesus' words here, if we acted like we did, people would know because they would know us by our love. They would know us by our unity. They would know who God was through us. So in all of this stuff that's going on in America, and I don't know if it bothers you or not, there's all this human-centered social and political agenda stuff. We're not seeing an increase in tolerance. We're not seeing an increase in love. We're not witnessing 
truly people being celebrated for their diversity of thought and interest. What's really happening is that there is this hate speech of this new movement that demands that sin is celebrated and truth is silenced. And if we don't, they're going to make fun of us the way they did Mike Pence. And about the only thing that they can do is to say that anybody who disagrees with them isn't just wrong. Everybody who opposes them is wrong, but to not agree with them makes us evil and hate-filled. And for a while, we listened to this threatening speech of ISIS come over the news. And before long, it landed here, and it's become the soundtrack for the anti-Christian movement in America. But are we united to stand against it? Are we as Christians really standing together on what God has revealed to us in His Word? Unfortunately, I'm afraid that an awful lot of believers point their finger at other believers. There's not enough unity among us that there's way too much division. And how can they get away with it? Well, because some Christians agree with them. Some Christians laugh when Mike Pence talks about his faith. We laugh at him because we don't like his politics. See, the world knows that as Christians we are a faith divided. And so what they do is they use that wedge and they divide us even further. And when they get us far enough apart that we can't even reach out our hands and hold on to each other, then they make us feel stupid. They talk to us like we're idiots because of what we believe. But the real trouble is us. It's not the unbelieving world. Jesus talked about that. He said, the world's going to hate you because they hate me. Should have been ready for that. And yet we're not united. In God's design for people, uh, there's a celebration of each of our individuality that can still occur within the unity of the Christian church. God created each and every one of us uniquely. Instead, you know what we've done? I talked about this last week. We have selfishly and arrogantly created 33,820 divisions in the Christian church. Satan didn't do that. Christians did. 33,820 ways that we have found to divide the Christian church from the inside. The devil doesn't need to do very much to the church. We did it to ourselves. Jesus prayed that we might be one, and we've done our very best to ignore that prayer because we think we know better. We want something a little bit different. And we don't really like the way that the Bible says that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10th verse says, and following says, I appeal to you, brothers, and I'll add brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is a quarreling among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? 2,000-year-old problem. And what we did when Jesus put it on the heart of that writer to write that letter to the church, what we did is we went on and created 33,820 more divisions. See, the power of a godly and united church cannot be underestimated. So I'm trying to think, how can we bring some fun to this? Because this is heavy. 
So I went back to an example that I've used years ago, and I love it. This, this is my admitting to you how simple my brain really is. Best example I can come up with is one from Charles Schultz in the Peanuts comic. Some of you are too young to even know who that is, and to you I apologize. Charles Schultz was a homegrown guy. He was a Christian man. He allowed his faith to work through his comic strip all over the place. And in one of the cartoons, Linus is in the room. This little boy is in the room watching television all by himself when Lucy barges in, and she is quite confident and not afraid of backing or not, not uh, about to back down to anybody. She barges into the room and she demands that Linus change the TV channel, even though Linus has been there first. And Linus says, what makes you think you can walk in here and take over? Without skipping a beat in that comic strip, Lucy snorts at him these five fingers. Individually, she says they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. She makes clear her stand and her willingness to enforce it. Linus looks at her, walks over to the TV, and says in a completely defeated voice, what channel do you want? turns channels and he turns away. He's going back to where he sits down and he goes, why can't you guys get organized like that? Why can't we get organized like that? Schultz knew what he was talking about. It's the right question. Godly unity isn't about human uniformity. It's about celebrating all of the diversity that God has brought into His creation while living out our purpose of living to honor and glorify God our Creator. It's about willingly working to collectively conform our thinking and our actions and our lives to the lives of life of Christ. The problem is, though, we want to be individuals and we want to do it on our own terms. And our own terms is called sin and it always gets us into trouble. And so the first thing we need to think is how... Do we pull ourselves together with Jesus in unity? And then how do we as Christians do the same? And when we do that, we make a statement to the world that's impossible to ignore. When we lift up the values, if you want to call them that, of tolerance and, and the new version of diversity and individual truth, along with our politics up over godly unity, we lose and the world wins. The devil wins. Lucy she understood the power of unity. There's a lesson for us here from the days of the Roman amphitheater. Remember they used to take slaves and they used to put them in there and they killed them a million different ways. They called it sport. Sometimes they let uh, men be armed with swords and go after men that weren't armed. Sometimes they let the animals loose. Well, sometimes what they did, and this was big, they would create armies of the slaves and they'd put them out to to go after each other. And one of the things that they would do is they would dress them up as though they were fighting men from the Roman army, that they looked the part. But what they did is they would put the front half of the chest protection on and leave the back half off. And so what they were was half protected. And so the idea was that if you guys who are not trained fighting men can stand as one unit with your face to the oncoming army, you stand a chance. But the moment you get scared and turn around, you expose yourself, you're no longer united, you will surely die. It's the same lesson for us in the church. It isn't that God leaves us defenseless. 
But when we don't use the tools and the armor that God gave us, we're much more vulnerable. When we live as Christians who stand strongly for our political beliefs over and above our Christian beliefs, we are like those men in the arena that are destined to die. We expose what is truly a weakness to the enemy and we're easily defeated. But what if we stood together in faith? If we'd only organized like Lucy and her five fingers, there's nothing that we couldn't accomplish, and God knows it, which is why Jesus prayed it. So does the devil. So then there comes to the part of the message where we say, what do we do? I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. Here at the Open Door, we're going to continue to teach the Bible as God's absolute truth for all people for all time, unchanging and without error. And we will do that without apology. The world around us, there are even other people who go to other places similar to this who say we're doing it wrong. We're going to continue to do it the way that God has called us to do it. Not because we think that we're better, but because we need to be faithful. We'll love people and we'll speak the truth of God in love to them. We will continue to pray that God the Father blesses us with the constant power and the presence of His Holy Spirit at work among us to bring us to faith, to grow us to faith, and to unite us in faith. We'll look at each other in Christian love and charity and together united as one. We will take a lesson from Lucy and we will form a weapon against the enemy of this world and all of his dark devices. And that weapon that we form will be terrible to behold because it will be one born out of all of God's best for His church. Why? Because it isn't us. It's the hand that holds us. That was Jesus' prayer. How do I know that? Because Jesus prayed it. And when we do that, not only will we unite as Christians, we will find ourselves a living answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago. Is it easy? No. Life in any church isn't easy because sometimes we have to give up things that we feel really strong about. But at the end of the day, the answer here has been and will always be. What we believe and our answer to it is in this book. And yes, we do believe that God speaks to us. And no, it's not mental illness. It's called faith. Let's pray. God, unity is a very, very difficult thing because it does mean that we have to put ourselves second. God, we all want to know and believe that we're most important, whether it's in a relationship with one person or in a relationship with the church or if it's all the churches trying to be in relationship with each other. We all want to be right. But God, at the end of the day, the only one who is right and good is You. Help us to simply understand that and live like we understand it. Help us to put our faith and hope and trust in You, not in what we can do. And help us at this time, in this place, to be a part of the answer to Jesus' prayer where we are united in faith, not by what we want for You, but by what it is that You want for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just think about something for a moment to carry this message forward. 
We as a church do not believe that we are in any way better than any other church in this area or in this world. We believe that we are just trying to live out the call that God has placed on us. And it might be different than some other people, but we're not better. That being said, imagine if we as a congregation realize that God brought us to this place for a reason that He understands in even greater detail than we do. Maybe what God is doing is using us as the palm and a whole bunch of other local churches are the fingers that come together and make a weapon that the enemy will find mighty fierce to behold. Imagine if we were able to be a part of not just uniting as a congregation, but if God blessed us with being a part of uniting the Christian church. Would that be awesome?